Hey, it's Vinnie Raquel, and you're listening to the Mountain Movers Podcast. Welcome back, Mountain Movers. In this episode, I took a seat with Vinnie, an artist with more personality in her pinky toe than most people have in their whole entire body. Vinnie and I had the pleasure of being classmates throughout our four years of university and now carry that friendship outside of the four walls of school. So we talk business and to be more specific, her business, corruption within athletic wear companies and what's known as the starving artist narrative. So sit back or lace up or put your car in drive, whatever you're doing. Let's move some mountains. Cue that intro in three, two, This is the Mountain Movers Podcast, a platform for you, the ones with a voice to be heard, but no microphone to speak it. This is your time, your chance to become more than they believe you are, more than you believe you are. So let's do this together. I'm sitting here with Vania. Vania, how are you today? I'm good, Jake. How are you? Yeah, honestly, I couldn't be better. We haven't seen each other since March. Since yeah, school. the end of end of February. No, beginning of March. Beginning of March. Basically, when school was canceled. Yeah. Our show was canceled. Yeah. Classes were canceled. Then everything we, was just like deuces. Exactly. And honestly, I thought things would be a little better by now with the whole pandemic but honestly we're all adjusting we're all taking it one step at a time and no literally and it's so funny i saw a tweet yesterday and it said we're we finally got the summer phineas and ferb had like (laughs) (laughs) like the summer that's like five months yeah exactly and i'm like wow like yeah we really did (laughs) maybe that's what they had planned maybe they predicted it honestly so you know what do the most crazy things right now Mm. in this it's not even quarantine anymore but but you heard it from Vinia. Do the craziest things right now. Do the now. craziest things right now. All right. So we're going to kick things off. Vinia, who are you and what do you do? Well, hi. I'm Vinia Raquel. Um, I'm a dancer and choreographer in the city. I just graduated from Ryerson with a BFA in dance and a minor in marketing. And I'm currently starting a new business, mm. um, which is very scary, but super exciting for me. It's called Buttermilk. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that's who I am. That's amazing. I mean, we've known each other for four years. Uh, I can definitely say that you're one of my closest, closest friends and it's really nice. It's really nice to have you on the podcast. Thanks. So you are actually the final episode before the season finale. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to talk about buttermilk in just a little bit, Mm -hmm. but I think to kick things off, let's jump into your schooling. So... BFA in dance, mm-hmm. and what most people don't realize or don't know is that you actually did a minor in marketing. And so, can you talk to me a bit about the inspiration that went into getting a minor in marketing? Okay, so I love dance, it's my life, it's who I am, and everything. But like, I came from like a single parent home, so I knew that like, of course, dance is going to be the forefront of my life. But like, I needed to have other outlets to you know be sustainable. And like, I'm a person who wants to be 
um, very comfortable and never have to like worry. So I, it took me a little bit of while to figure out what I knew I was going to do a minor, but it took me a little bit of time to figure out what that minor was going to be. So I actually started kind of late. I started in third year, um, which is a little harder because I had to fit six courses in. And so because I chose the marketing minor, um, it doesn't overlap with liberals. So like an English minor or like a geography minor, you kind of get to knock off two birds and with one stone. But I actually had to take all six liberals and another additional six courses. Yeah, so it was a lot of like work and I had to really be on top of like time management and everything, but I'm so happy I did it. And like... Honestly, I feel like some people questioned like dance and marketing, like how does that relate? But I feel like it relates the most because like as a dancer, you're self-employed, you're your own CEO, you have to learn how to market yourself on and offline. And like those strategies are so applicable to like me as a self-employed dancer. Like I'm representing myself right now and marketing myself. So those strategies really like trans like transpired over to me as a dancer, um, but also like I knew I wanted to be in business, like involved in that. And so uh, I knew marketing was the, like obviously over like marketing, finance, mm-hmm. economics, like I knew marketing was definitely the best fit for me because it's a bit more creative. There's definitely a lot of elements of creativity and like innovation. So that's definitely where I felt the most comfortable. And so, yeah, like, honestly, I'm so happy I did it um, because now I just feel, especially now, like, with the new business, like, I have definitely a bit more background knowledge as to, like, how to run the marketing side of everything. Um, And, yeah. So, as a dancer, you've been dancing for how long? Uh, I'm 21. Like, 18 years. Wow. And so how has that journey gone for you? Like, what has that journey looked like for you? So you competed Mm -hmm. and then, in which we knew each other towards the end of our um, competition days. Yeah. And then we entered school together. And what was... was, like, OMG. Right? And then we entered school together. And what was that like for you? What was the whole overarching Ryerson experience? Ryerson was definitely the most transformative experience for me. Um, just because I had a lot of baggage coming into first year and it took me a lot, like basically the whole year to kind of like unpack it and like figure out what's happening. So like first year was really, really difficult for me. Second year was still a little bit more difficult, um, in the first semester. And then second semester was a bit better just because I was really disdoubting this degree and like a fine arts Mm -hmm. degree really doubting this degree um I just got out of a breakup so I was just like emotionally and like physically not there and so that was kind of hard to be super dedicated because people who know our program it's like a very intense do or die program and if you're not like I'm gonna bleed for you Mm -hmm. they're like you gotta know what it takes yeah and so I was just definitely not there and they were like sis like (laughs) are you good and so finally well what definitely transformed my whole university experience was I actually worked at um, an investment firm in the summer going into third year and let me tell you the money was hella cute but I realized like I cannot do this like at all like it like I felt seriously like my soul was dying every time I went to the office and that's like totally it was not a bad company not a bad work environment but like just the corporate life and like the nine-to-five life like it just it's not you it wasn't me it wasn't me at all and 
going into third year that like definitely just changed my perspective and I was like okay like I'm gonna dance like I'm gonna do this and then I just went like super hard and super ham and it definitely like reflected in like my work and everything and definitely like my relationships because I was so much happier as a person Mm -hmm. rather than kind of being um just like doubtful and I feel like doubt is like the biggest thing in any program realistically because especially once you get into second year it's kind of like do I keep going or do I switch Mm -hmm. you know and I feel like the doubt you have to almost have an experience like that to say yes or no like yes I'm gonna do this or like no this is actually like not the route for me Mm -hmm. and so yeah and then going into like fourth year like I finally just kind of got back into choreographing a lot more like really trying to establish myself as a choreographer as well because it's like still my dream like honestly I thought it changed I was like oh I thought I want to dance for a bit blah 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 like I know my heart is like in choreography and so um like I got to work on a piece that like really like meant a lot to me and like I actually felt um in charge of it like I actually felt like I was creating something like very profound and very um me like very yeah yeah. and that's what you do as a choreographer right like you take a piece of yourself and you put it into your dancers you put it into the artists that you're working Mm -hmm. with and hope that they can bring it to life Mm -hmm. right and it was the first like process that I felt um not actually the first process but this like one of the other processes that I really enjoyed and I took really seriously the process like as if it was a company um and I felt like especially being in school and we're choreographing with each other like our friends it's really easy to kind of not have that level of sophistication Mm -hmm. in the room but I felt like with the dancers I had like everyone really respected me really respected the space really respected like the work and it just made it so much easier to Mm. like pop off Mm. yeah and I really think it showed So you talked a lot about that corporate job you had. Mm -hmm. And then you also talk about the balance between, you know, the way you felt in the corporate world, how it wasn't for you, Mm -hmm. and then how you really found your voice within the walls of Ryerson University, within the arts program you were in. Mm -hmm. So you've been speaking a little bit about this company that you're starting or this Mm -hmm. business that you have going on. Can you talk to it? Can you talk a bit about that? So... Um, so I'm um, mixed race. I'm from Ghana and England. And so December, literally before the whole ass world locked down, I went to Ghana for a month to visit my family. And it was my first time going back. And so that experience in itself was amazing. And so my uncle kept bringing over these tubs of, sh- like, shea butter. And, like, I obviously, like, I've used shea butter, but, like, from Canada, Um, And so I was like, oh my gosh, like, I want a tub. Like, I really want a tub. And I actually had the idea for buttermilk, I think, in March 2019. And I talked to my friend about it. Just like a skincare company. Nothing really niche-focused. It was just an idea. And then once that there, it was almost like, okay, this is it. Like, the whole company is going to be centered around Shea, everything. Um, And so my granny actually made, makes it. Yeah, she just turned 80. Oh. Wow. Yeah, my granny actually makes it. So um, she gave me a tub and I brought it home and I gave some out, like just the raw shea butter. I gave some out to my friends and family and they all like loved it. And then um, quarantine, like I was like, okay, if like 
especially with a dancer, like you, like your time is always like at rehearsal Mm -hmm. in process. And so I was like, Hey, quarantine, if this is going to happen, like it's going to start now. Mm -hmm. So I just started like experimenting, like literally being like, um, fucking, what's it called? Like a potion maker in Mm, my kitchen. Cool. Witchcraft. Okay, no. <laughs> um, but, like, yeah, like, whipping up concoctions in no, my kitchen, um, trying new recipes, and then I was like, okay, like, this is actually totally doable. Like, I can do this. And so, yeah, I was like, I'm going to start this. I need, like, I know I want to have a business under my name. I feel like it aligns perfectly with who I am, um, and it's, like, not so far, like, fetched. And so, yeah, I reached out to my friend, Loren, and she's a graphic designer. And she was like, yep. And she really made me, like, get on my ass. She was, like, asking the right questions and, like, really made me think, like, put a business hat on. And so, yeah. So pretty much all the products are going to be homemade. It's all, like, directly imported from Ghana. Yeah, like, literally directly imported from there. So it's the real stuff. It's the real freaking deal. Mm. And, yeah, I'm making everything. It's just, like, remix. So, like, Shay, it doesn't have a bad smell, but it's not, like... Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's not like that. So just, like, remixing it with, like, essential oils. Like, everything's all natural. Nice. Essential oils and, um, like just techniques like whipping it and stuff like that um so it's a bit like, easier to use because it's a really like thick consistency right um but yeah so we're probably gonna launch well we've launched socially mm-hmm. just to like let the you know the world know the world know but um the product is gonna probably launch like latest in october so, but i'm trying for september so where can they find you on social they can find me on instagram right now um at it's at buttermilk, B-U-T-T-R-M-L-K underscore. And yeah, we don't have a website yet, but that's coming soon. And yeah. Cool. Cool. So obviously it's still in the early phases. Yeah, very early. Really but where do you hope to take this? What are the types of impacts you're trying to have with like something so authentic and something that hits so close to home? Literally. Yeah. Honestly, like my goal with this, like I just kind of want to bring like respect back to the source like Mm. this is like a product like everybody it's not like a new product like it's not like i've discovered some like magical new thing like people know what shea butter is but it's like it comes like okay perfect example and this is no tea no shade but the body shop like a lot of their products like you know the body shop as like a canadian company it's a canadian company right pretty sure it's a canadian company it's a Canadian company. They have body products, like, super good, super, like, smells amazing and everything. But, like, actually, like, majority of the products, like, especially cocoa butter, shea butter, come from Africa. Mm-hmm. And just not a lot of people have that, like, knowledge of it. And I kind of want, like, if you're going to use a product, like, I want you to know where it's coming mm-hmm. from. And, like, just, like, giving respect to the source, especially because, like, you know... Like, we forget so much about where all these, like, resources come from once they land in, like, our country, our, like, city, that we kind of forget where they come from. So I kind of just want to bring that essence of it back. Nice. Yeah. I think that's really important. I mean, especially in a time, you know, pandemic aside, we've seen a lot of platforms being used to amplify the voices of people that have been silenced for so long. Mm -hmm. And in saying that, I mean people of color. Mm -hmm. Right? And it's no surprise that you know what you're doing is in return 
bringing light to something so important, Mm -hmm. right? Like you want to bring it back to the source. You want to show people that, hey, you're using this product, but do you really know where it's coming from? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so I guess on that, on that note, Mm -hmm. with everything going on in the world right now, um, that has to do with Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I've definitely, I feel like I've definitely used always, um, well, with, also with one thing, like I want like buttermilk to be like we talk about like visit being visa, hello, <laughs> being visibly black or being visibly a person of color. So I want buttermilk in its essence to be visibly black. I want it to look like oh okay, it's a black owned company. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I've used my socials a lot to kind of emphasize that and like honestly with everything going on, like I, like it definitely sparked a lot of like hard conversations. Like you know. Um, at the beginning, well, not at the beginning, but when Ahmed um, was murdered, and then when George was murdered, and then when Brianna was murdered, I just noticed that, like, seriously, my close circle of groups, like, was just we weren't even having the conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't care if they post on social media; that's not what I care about. But, but um, we weren't having the conversation in our group chats. Like, we have a group chat literally on every platform on Twitter, on Snapchat, on Instagram, on text, and we're so quick to be like, "Oh my gosh, guys, did you see like?" Kim broke up with Kanye, like, mm. and re- like the stupid shit that nobody really gives a fuck about, and like the real issues that affect two people because two of us are people of color mm-hmm. in um, your close circle. Well, not people of color, but black people yeah. in the close circle. Um, that you know it directly affects us. Like you have no intention on being like, hey, like this is happening. What's going on? You know? And so I I felt the need to call them out. And it was like a lot. I was like, wow, like I can't believe I actually have to call my friends out. Mm-hmm. But it's a very hard dynamic also because one of our friends' dads is, is also a police officer. Right. So the dynamic of the whole conversation is very sensitive in our circle because her dad's a police officer. As growing up, of course, she has seen him do so much good mm-hmm. but you know that that doesn't like neglect like negate the fact that people in his profession are like you know doing what they're doing doing what they're doing and so yeah um that was definitely one and i'm happy we sparked that conversation because so much now has like happened that it's just easier for us to like talk about and like i wanted to feel like i can lean on people that i have been friends with for like eight plus years absolutely you know and even with that, like, it made me kind of, like, look into myself and look at where my privilege is because I'm mixed race. I definitely don't face the same, um, like, judgments or, um, like, attack as people with darker skin, mm-hmm. especially, like, dark-skinned women. Like, they're very much attacked, unprotected, um, abused. And neglected, and so I had to look into myself, into my privilege, and see where I'm not um, being as vocal, or where I'm not being the person who can stand up. And so one of those things was um, in a company I was contracted with for like quite a long time. I'm not gonna say the name because okay. you know I'm not gonna spill all the tea. But what kind of company was this? It was a athletic wear company. Mm. And it was actually run by um, an Asian man, but his target market was white, blonde, skinny mm-hmm, girls. Mm-hmm. And majority of the time when we would do group photo shoots, it was I was the only black girl. And at that, I'm mixed race, so mm-hmm. I, 
you know, I'm lighter skin complexion. And I had to look into myself and I said, wow, like, do I want to continue being their token? Like, they look inclusive because of me. I'm their token. Mm. And I said, and actually, um, one of their other models reached out to me. She said, hey, um, I know you don't know me. She's actually from, like, Los Angeles. She's like, I know you don't know me. They haven't mentioned or done anything for Black Lives Matter. Um, I'm planning on ending my contract and sending them an email. Like, would you like me to include you in that? And I was like, um, um, yes, like, please include me in that. Um, like, I'd love to, like, be a part of this, like, discussion. And so she emailed them. They replied back to her. And she said, yeah, I'm ending my contract blah 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 and then from there I didn't personally end my contract yet um and then I reached out to them and I said hey like with in light of everything I just don't see my values aligning with the company and like of course more stuff but that was the base of it and then they tried to just hit me back um with I think we are pretty inclusive in the workforce like in our office and I'm like I won't lie, like they are inclusive in the office, but when your target market is a very narrow, ex- yeah, very narrow um, thing, and you know that other people of color, other bodies, especially too, mm-hmm. that's another thing. Other, aside from um, the diversity within um, ethnicity, like there was no plus size models, nothing of that sort. Even though it's an athletic company, but it's like. You know, like plus side people still work out, plus side people still want to wear leggings, want to wear sports bras, like all that jazz. And there was none of that either. And I was like, you know what? Like, this is not a company I want to represent or mm-hmm. be affiliated with. Mm-hmm. And so they pretty much were like, yeah, like we're super diverse in the workforce. And I was like, but look at your Instagram. Mm-hmm. And so I ended my contract. And then, like, literally, I went to go creep them one day and I was like, oh, so it took me to end my contract for you to post a dark skinned girl. Mm. And it's so obvious because if you scroll down maybe about nine posts, the whole Instagram white, blonde, skinny, mm-hmm. pretty girls. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is like, this is exactly what I was talking about. And it's like, this is just performative now at this point. It's like, if you're going to be true to this, like, you know, do it. But then um, I actually got onboarded by a new company called Unlabeled, who, um, like, I love companies that are diverse without having to be like, ooh, we're diverse. Like, yeah. just be it if you're going to be it. And it totally embodies everything in terms of ethnicity, people of color, body types. And it's just, like, it feels way more wholesome and way more, like, I don't feel like, I feel good about being a part of the company, people seeing this on my social media, people, you know, reaching out to me about this company and just what it stands for. And it's just a way better working environment, a way better experience for me. And so I'm honestly happy that that door, I closed that door because literally this other one opened up right away. Mm. So, yeah. That's like a small victory too. Actually, mm-hmm. no, it's not a small victory. It's a big victory Yeah. because you close one door and you had no idea what was ahead. You didn't mm-hmm. know what you were going to experience. You didn't think... And wonder, like, oh, my God, am I ever going to work with another company again? Mm-hmm. But look at you. I know. And then, right. boom, I was, like, right on the corner. I said, oh, hey, yeah. like, what? Yeah. But, yeah. Cool. Okay, let's sw- switch pace a little bit. So we've talked a little bit about what's called the starving artist narrative, mm-hmm. right? And so I know you were really excited to jump on the mic and talk to us about that. Yes. So I'll give you the floor. Okay. So let's... Okay. 
this gets me so heated because um, I think it's so bullshit. The fact that artists and dancers have to be so desperate, have to be so willing and so thirsty for attention, for time on stage, for a job, I think it's just disgusting. I think the whole culture of like the starving artist is disgusting. I don't actually need to be broke to be a super deep and intense and emotional artist. I can actually have a business. I can actually work a job Mm. and still have really deep conceptual concepts that are displayed in my work. And I feel like, especially at Ryerson, like certain teachers really push the starving artist narrative. Like you have to be so desperate. Like you can do, you have to do anything for this job, anything for this company. And I think it's like disgusting. It's like, no, it's like, okay. It's not about like, listen, be humble. Don't try to be like, I'm the best dancer in here. Like I deserve the best job. It's not about that, but it's more like, it's more just like creating this thing that like I can never be proud or like I can never be um, something outside of this. And like another another company that I feel like pushes this narrative a lot like is like Springboard. I feel like they they want these like super poor vul- like like super poor vulnerable um, desperate people just to give their all. And I feel like that is kind of it's not really good for your mental health like why should a dancer suffer so much like why should that a company pay them so little to live and i just feel like that is so it's honestly bizarre to me it's like and i feel like when honestly one of the reasons that i you know i've been on the waitlist two years for whatever reason really but I feel like one of the reasons, and I've said this to my friends, is that like I don't fit the aesthetic of a starving artist because mm. I refuse to do that. I refuse to be, I refuse to just, I feel like the starving artist, they want you to be like so depressed, like so emotional. Like, that you need them in order to that be That I happy. need them to be happy, to survive, to thrive in this world. And it's like, I refuse to like succumb to that. Like that's just not who I am. And you know, like even, even in the sense of being like, um, people, I've one of our teachers even said to two of my two of our classmates, like, "Oh, like, don't wear any makeup to the audition. Like, look like disheveled. Like, mm-hmm. what is that? Like, what is that? I think it's just like that doesn't make you a deep artist. You're uh, again, you're just putting on an, an aesthetic mm-hmm. that you are this deep artist. Like, you can be anything, and however you present, try, decide to present yourself outside of dance. Like, if you're super into fashion, if you're super into like disco music like things that bring you joy like that still makes you as valid as an artist as like a disheveled like i only thrift broken like yeah you know it still makes you as valid as an artist like you know and i i just want to break that narrative and i always remember um I never got around to reading the book but melanie was reading melanie old Mm -hmm. she was reading a book called something it was something along the lines as like i'm not going to be a starving artist and i was like wow i'm so happy someone wrote this book because you can be an artist and you can still live a comfortable life perfect example is tina Pereira from mboc tina Pereira is a she's a first soloist 
Um, and she, I never knew this, but she has her own company. Mm. It's like, you guys can do more than one thing. You don't have to dedicate your life to this company because they've already proven to you that it's not sustainable mm. to just be a dancer. It's, it just shows. And perfect example, her company aligns perfectly with who she is. It's a leotard company. That's a perfect thing. Yeah. And she's a first soloist. She's still dedicated to MBOC. And she has her business because mm. she needs to survive. So she does both. She doesn't exactly. just need to be a dancer. She doesn't just need to be a member of this company. She exactly. can branch off, use the rest of her time to do her own thing. To do her own thing. And I feel like it's okay to do your own thing and to want to be your own thing and to, you know, love going out, love dressing up, like like going out to like... Perfect example, Louis, like our teacher, he he goes to the fanciest of restaurants. Mm, do you think he's food. a starving artist? No. no. But he is so profound in his concept, like his concepts, how he teaches. And, you know, his outside life doesn't neglect, like doesn't um, diminish that part of him. And yeah, I'm just like really over it. Like mm. I'm just like so over it. Like I just refuse to, you know be part of that culture because I think that culture is toxic. I think the star the starving artist narrative culture is so toxic and leaves a lot of dancers like broken. Mm -hmm. And that's why so many people hate dance after. Mm -hmm. That's why so much, you know, like yeah, I think it's just especially two companies, I think it's so disgusting for them to lead artists on. Like, oh yes, please come to our please come to our workshop. Please come to this. Please come to this. Please come to this. Leading them on like they're gonna get the job and then just be like, oh. Sorry. I think it's disgusting. Hmm. I think it's disgusting. So for people who feel like they are, let's say they've fallen victim to the starving artist narrative, mm -hmm. what do you think are steps that they can take to get out of that? Just like honestly, I feel like you have to it really comes down to self-love. Like, if you love yourself, you're not going to let yourself fall into this, like, trap. Like, why would you want to be almost a prisoner to someone? Like, giving your whole life, all of your thing, all of your time for someone who, like, will barely even give you a moment on stage. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, why? Like, you have to realize where you're valued. I feel like that's what it is. You have to realize where you're valued, and if it's not... If, get it, if you really want to be in this company, I totally get it. If you really want to be in this company, you really want this job, you're trying everything so hard, but you have to realize it has to get to a point where your desperation has cannot come, like cannot overshine like your value. Mm -hmm. If you're not valued there, you have to, it's a hard L to take, but you have to just be like, you know what? It's not going to work. And move on. And move on because and go somewhere where you are valued because why just because it's a big company or a big name choreographer you think they give a fuck like you think they give a fuck about you like no mm. they can see how desperate you are so they're just giving you that opportunity because you know what they'll do any they know you'll do anything mm -hmm. why would you want to be that for somebody else you know you know what's huge is that i think we all need to be more aware of this mm -hmm. and remember for ourselves that someplace that we're always valued no matter what Hopefully, mm -hmm. is it's with ourselves. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. It's on the Bad Movers podcast, but it's also with ourselves. Yeah. So I mean, you can be in a company and you can be expressing yourself however you want to express yourself, and you could be working your ass off for whatever mm -hmm. part in this piece that they are trying to make you work for. Mm -hmm. But if you don't get it, if you don't get what you worked for, take a step back and reflect. Why didn't I get this? Was it me or was it them? 
mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, it's your choice whether you want to keep fighting for something that you might get in the future mm-hmm. or take a step back and realize, I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep fighting and it may never happen. Mm-hmm. But, but at the end of the day, you know, I have myself, I have my values, I have my morals and you shouldn't have to sacrifice those for any kind of work, any mm-hmm. kind of job. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the stigma around the starving artist narrative is mm-hmm. that you need to sacrifice your morals, your beliefs, Literally. your love, passion, your artistry to fit the mold that they exactly. want to give you. I think that, and I think that's just so wrong. I think that's so wrong. And like every, every um, profession has that like culture of whatever, but especially like in the dance world, like I just don't think I need to be this starving artist. I can still be as artistic, as profound without, you know, all these other things attached to it. Mm. And so I just want to like break that aesthetic. I think it's just, like it's honestly sad, you know, and yeah, I hope a lot of people realize that now. I hope they do. Especially coming out of school, like we're all trying to get a job. Yeah. But like, do it with with passion. Do it with purpose, not just because I need a job. <laughs> you know, like I get it, but it's like you can also work in retail, in server. That's still a job. Like I get it's not your profession, but like, don't give up your life. For someone who literally won't feed you water if yeah. you were thirsty. There you go. You know, like that just doesn't make sense. Mm. Vanilla, you're hungry, you're driven, you're passionate. We can all hear it in your voice. So, where are you gonna take that? What are some goals you have, some ambitions that you have? You're ambitious, I know it. Yeah. Where do you wanna go? Well, what do you wanna do? You know, well, okay, so I really want to, I love dancing, obviously. Like, I love to be a dancer, but like, still, like, my heart is not like I love. Would love to be a dancer, mm-hmm. but like I'm definitely just more on the like creating side. Like I love to choreograph. I love to just kind of be a part of the creative process. Right. And so I actually applied to um, like a program next year. I don't know what's happening, and I haven't heard anything back yet. But it's called House, um, and they had like a creative director like um, residency. And I feel like it's a kind of a perfect blend of my BFA and marketing, right. like just creative direct. Um, and I feel like that just will, you know, in the long run, be a lot more sustainable yeah. um, while I'm still doing, no matter what, I'm going to be in the creative field. Like yeah. I'm not just going to like totally You're an switch. artist. That's who you yeah. are. Um, but something like that. And so kind of want to kind of, well, kind of want to kind of, kind of want to explore that field because I don't know much about it, but. I'd love to just, you know, um, start to choreograph for kind of bigger events like music videos, short films. And I actually am, I actually just got asked to be a choreographer for a short film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was like, oh my God, you guys found me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was really exciting because it's like exactly what I want to do, like the perfect avenue, what I want to do. Um, and just kind of working on like concept films right now, um, just to like... T- Display my choreography. Um, yeah, but what I realized too with that um, is that I need to be more, if I'm going to be what I want to be, like I definitely need to transition to a more business perspective like on my social media and definitely put out more um, dance content. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of like what I'm working on right now. Cool. But yeah, we have a lot of big dreams, a lot of big goals, but... You're still young. Yeah, we'll see. Holy crap. We'll see. I really need to build my name. That's like my biggest thing right now. Just building Vinnie Raquel. Mm-hmm. 
I can see it now. I really so, can. Yeah. Before we get to Oh, and moving to Paris. Oh. Yeah. Paris. Yeah, I really I really so I was actually gonna move to Paris in October. Then this whole damn thing happened. Right. So like I still could, but like financially it just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like I wanna, I just feel like, especially as a dancer, especially as a dancer of color too, I'm a lot more valued in Europe mm. and just a lot more respected. So, and I feel like also because I brought this up on my Instagram the other day, like I felt like some people in our class kind of looked at me as like a snob because I was like, I'm never gonna work in Toronto blah 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 and it's just like it's I feel like people thought I was like thought I was like better than Toronto too good for Toronto but it's really not that it's just like there was no representation of me here so I was like why would I want to work here you know like all the companies we know of it's like there's no black people there's literally one person of color and like yeah like I just had was like okay it's this this isn't my city to work in so that's why I've been so adamant on going to Europe going to Europe going to Europe and so I'd like to just be there and just be able to have accessibility to all the auditions. It's just so much easier once you're there to go on an audition tour when you can take a $40 train compared to a $2,000 flight right. to, you know, wherever. So I kind of just want to go there and freelance for a little bit, try to work with a company. Find your fo- find your feet within yeah. Europe. Yeah, literally. And I love Paris, so. Mm. Francais? Au petit peu. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so before we wrap things up with our final segment, um, I want to ask you one one question. If you could leave the listeners with any piece of inspiration on anything that we've talked about today, whether that was the um, the whole incident with the company you won't name, mm-hmm. whether that's the starving artist narrative, mm-hmm. or whether that's you know creating your own startup, mm-hmm. what would you leave them with? Um, I feel like it's really important to keep this in whatever you do, but that like you don't need people to clap for you, for you to validate what you're doing, to mm-hmm. validate what you're doing. Like you don't need people to be like, oh my gosh, like this is amazing. Keep going. Like you're so great. Like if you know it's good, validate yourself before you need validation from others. Right. And yeah. So be there for yourself. Yeah. Be your biggest supporter. If you don't support yourself, like. Back to the start of artist narrative. If you don't think you're great, who else? Like nobody that nobody else is gonna think you're great. Mm-hmm. You know, it's self love, mandatory number one. It starts with you. Seriously, wow. love yourself. Literally, I love myself too much for <laughs> people to be treating me like that. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. All right. So to wrap things up, we're gonna get into the mountain minute. So that's a rapid fire round ah! of questions. Um, Liddy, this, this is, is the mountain. mountain. Three, two, one. Favorite movie? Juice. Favorite food? Okra stew. Go to breakfast? Two sunny side up eggs. Favorite song? Crew. Where did you first hear the song? In the club. <laughs> what is your guilty pleasure song? My guilty pleasure song? Killing Me Softly. Favorite day of the week? Thursday. Least favorite day of the week? Tuesday. Favorite color? Blue. Green, green, green. Whoa. Green is my favorite color. (laughs) What time do you usually go to bed? Like one. What time do you usually wake up? Eleven. (laughs) If you could make any animal your pet, what animal would you choose? A shark. If you could change the stigma (laughs) around one thing... Actually, no, I change that. A panther. Why? I love panthers. Okay. If you could change the stigma around one thing in the world, what would it be? 
sexual abuse. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? Elon Musk. If you could have any superpower, what would you choose? Telekinesis. Sweet or salty? Salty. Coffee or tea? Tea. Rain or shine? <gasps> shine? Are you kidding me? Day or night? Night. Favorite number? Seven. That's where, a given. Where do you want to travel? Paris. Well, that I haven't been to Brazil. Fill in the blank. This podcast is... Awesome. Okay. Okay. <laughs> And that's a podcast right there. Thank you so much, Vania, for you know sitting down with me. It's been a while, but I'm really glad we could reconnect this way. I know. You have a lot to say. You have a lot of drive. You have a lot of passion. And I want you to keep going. Keep I'll climbing. Always keep going. I'm going to climb that mountain. So where can our listeners find you on social? You can find me at Vania Raquel XO on Instagram. And that's pretty much it. Don't find me on anything else. We but, already dropped the buttermilk. Yeah, we already dropped the buttermilk. Yeah, Vinny Raquel on Instagram, com for my website, Vinny Raquel Vimeo. Mm-hmm. Watch those dance videos, choreography mm-hmm. vibes. And Vinny Dota Beals for Twitter, but I'm pretty radical on Twitter, so <laughs> just letting you know. All right. Thank you so much, Vinny. Stay tuned for buttermilk. Deuces. Thank you once again for tuning in to another episode of the Mountain Movers Podcast. Please, if you are an iTunes listener and enjoyed what you heard, feel free to rate and review the podcast. Ratings help this podcast gain traction, which ultimately will grow the Mountain Movers community. So until next time, keep climbing. Love always. Cheers.